Welcome to Zags on Air. I'm your host, Nassim Gutierrez, with co-hosts Bobby Levitin and Julian Anchetta. It's October 29th, and I want to give a quick shout-out to Chris Schnabel and the Sports Management Club for creating the podcast committee idea. Zags on Air is a Gonzaga sports podcast that will cover news, updates, recaps, previews, reviews, events, and more. And we will sit down with student athletes, coaches, sports field professionals to get insights into their careers and who they are as people. Uh, a little bit about myself, I am a transfer senior at Gonzaga University. I am coming from Pacific Lutheran University where I spent two years on the men's division three basketball team. I'm currently studying business economics. I'm from Vancouver, Washington. I joined the podcast committee to get a little bit of experience in the podcasting field. Some sports I like to watch include football, basketball, volleyball, and soccer. And some sports I like to play include football, basketball, and volleyball. A fun fact is that I'm fluent in Spanish. Um, my name is Julian Anchetta, and I'm a grad student um, at uh, studying uh, studying sports and athletic administration. Um, I'm actually from uh, Southern California. Um, I joined the podcast to gain experience and to provide insight on sports relating to Gonzaga and just sports in general, just to provide my influence or provide my expertise on what I think is important. Um, as far as enjoy watch, as far as sports that I enjoy watching and playing. Um, I enjoy watching football, basketball, soccer, even a bit of cricket, to be quite honest with you. What's up, guys? Uh, my name is Bobby Levitan. I'm a sophomore from Los Angeles, California. I am majoring in sports management with a minor in general business. Um, I joined this podcast because I've always been a huge sports fan my entire life. I always love playing it. I always love talking about it and just getting the opportunity to sort of shed some light on all the Gonzaga sports, you know, even this ones that maybe don't get as much recognition as they deserve. Definitely was an opportunity I couldn't pass up, so I'm super excited to get started on this and hopefully, to, you know, again, shed some light on, on those sports that deserve the recognition. Um, for sports, I mean, I've played basketball my entire life. That's my main sport. I've also played football, baseball, soccer, tennis. I mean, you name it, I've probably tried it at one point in my life. Um, but yeah, basketball is my main one. Uh, I played in high school, played two years on varsity. Had a chance to go D3, but ultimately I decided that I want to start playing for my future a little bit early. So I decided to come to Gonzaga and definitely was one of the best best decisions I could have made. I'm super happy here and I'm super excited to get this thing started. Awesome. And uh, what schools were recruiting you? Uh, there was once, it was only like one school. It was like the, in the middle of Iowa. It's called uh-huh. Luther College. So I mean, you said Luther College? Luther College. So I thought to myself, do I really want to spend four years of my life in the middle of nowhere in Iowa on, a, on a basketball team that went like one in 15 the season before? So wouldn't that have given you an opportunity to play right away? I mean, probably. But again, I also want to play for my future, and I knew I wasn't going to be I wasn't going to be making a living uh, off of playing basketball. And so I'm like, okay, I might as well start my future early. I, and I knew I wanted to major in sports management, and so Gonzaga was a perfect place for me to go. And it sounds like you chose sports management because you're a big sports fan, and you, your biggest sport is uh, basketball. Uh, and you're from LA. I am from LA. Uh, tell me a little bit about like LA basketball. Kobe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if, I, Kobe. if I had to summarize Los Angeles basketball in one word, it's pretty much going to be Kobe. I mean, everyone you talk to there, unless they're a fake fan and they're a Clippers fan. That was a quick uh, answer, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But unless they're a fake fan, unless they're a Clippers fan, they're going to say Kobe's like the heart of LA basketball, even today after, you know, he's passed. But just, just his lasting legacy and the impact he's left on everyone there, it's definitely something that's going to carry on for generations. I mean, yeah, I grew up with Kobe my entire life, so... He's my idol, so yeah, definitely. What are some things you guys do to like manage your time outside of um, school? 
outside of school mm-hmm. like hobbies or yeah like hobbies like and it's like specifically like sports like what do you guys like to do i'm the godliest 2k player i will run 2K? Any, i will run anyone in 2k <laughs> okay let's see will, that, i'm accepting open challenges let's see about that bobby <laughs> uh, you have an ad for like xbox i will yes at me at swaggy b1 but instead of an a it's a four so sw4ggy capital b1 i will run any of you guys all right what's your team though what team do you usually go with i mean i can't go with the lakers though because that's just op i'm gonna i'm gonna get clowned on i mean i don't know i'm I'm good with any team give me any team and i'll catch a dub all right we'll see about are you a classic team kind of guy all team kind of guy or just current team kind of guy I'll play with any teams. I'll play with any teams. I'm very versatile when it comes to 2K. Okay. Who's your favorite all-time team? Oh, boy. Any MJ team is good, but again, they're OP. Mm. Any any historic Lakers team is OP. I mean, again, I'll play with anyone. I, there's a bunch of players that I like playing with, too, like the AIs or like Tracy McGrady's. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I like the Orlando Magic all-time team. Penny Hardaway's. That team is lethal. Big boy Shaq. Um, but... We want to transition a little bit into Gonzaga sports. Let's do it. And Bobby, you have uh, the men's soccer team. Tell us yeah. a little bit about it. Uh, last week, the men's soccer team had their match against Portland. They were in Portland. It was an away game for them. Um, unfortunately, they lost by a score of 4-1. to one. It was a very fast-paced game. Portland struck first in the 18th minute with a goal from senior German Sanga. And then GU actually immediately responded back with a 19th-minute penalty kick goal from sophomore Logan Dorsey, his fourth goal of the season for the Zags. He's quickly becoming one of their go-to guys down down the stretch as well. Um, In the 42nd minute, Portland struck struck back right before halftime with a goal from junior Ben Ortiz. Uh, In the 76th minute, Portland would extend their lead after a goal from grad student Luke Hendel. And then three minutes later, in the 79th minute, Portland scored again off a penalty kick from sophomore Jacob Babali, which effectively put the game out of reach. But this game was this game was especially tough for GU. They had two goals called back due to being offsides. They had multiple chances to get back in the game, and unfortunately, just didn't pan out the way they had hoped. Uh, this is the team's third loss in four and gave four games, dropping them to an overall record of seven and seven. Well, that may not seem like the best record. It is definitely. Uh, an improvement from last year and I want to give a quick shout out to new coach Aaron Lewis came in first year on the job he was an assistant coach previously and I mean I don't think anyone was expecting this turnaround I don't think no. you guys were expecting this turnaround at all one no. from like, I think two and nine last year mm-hmm. to seven and seven this year uh, and she, winless against division one schools and, and they didn't win a single game against any division one school last year now they have uh, at least a few obviously with, the, with, with their conference wins so definitely a huge shout out to Aaron Lewis he's definitely instilled a culture in there with the team that's there to stay for a while. so, uh, And then um, they have three games left on their schedule, one of them being against 24th-ranked Santa Clara and then St. Mary's and Pacific. All three teams, by the way, have winning records. Uh, well, uh, that's a great question, Bobby. Love the question, by the way. Um, but, yeah, as far as uh, Santa Clara, St. Ma- <clears throat> excuse me, Santa Clara, St. Mary's, and Pacific, of course, I believe they're all California-based teams. Is that correct? They are. They are that's correct. Perfect. Okay. Um, I think, yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough game for against Santa Clara since they are the 24th ranked team. And, you know, we this is a, a relatively young team. So anytime you play against a young team or anytime you play against a ranked team for a young team to have that, it's going to be tough for this season, uh, for this game uh, moving forward. I don't see them winning, to be quite honest with you. I don't think it'll be much of a blow up, but I do think it'll be a close game, if not, you know, probably 3-1, which sounds like a little further out. But still, I mean, 3-1 for this team wouldn't be too bad. Um, against St. Mary's and Pacific, those are those are also 
winnable games if things go in their favor. Of course, no, no, on the soccer field, there's a lot of a lot of things that can go that can go your way. Um, you know, certain calls go your way, the ball flops a certain way. You know, certain corner kicks and whatnot. So I mean, it just it's just kind of one of those things where it's not necessarily a toss up, but it's just depending on who's healthy, um, as well as just as as far as you know the coach and what formation they run with. So it, it's I would say that the St. Mary's and Pacific games are a lot more winnable, whereas the Santa Clara game is. Um, is is not as winnable, but at the same time, they have surprises so far, so you never know. What I will add is that this, the game versus Santa Clara and the St. Mary's game are both at home here in Spokane on Luger Field, so make sure to come support the men's soccer team. I think having the home crowd is definitely going to be a huge advantage in the scene. Can you talk about sort of what 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 the advantages are having a, uh, having a home crowd and sort of the adrenaline that comes with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When you have fan support in your team, you know, you're going to feel that support and you're going to feel like a certain amount of energy going into a game. Um, you're not in a hostile environment. Um, you're with friendlies. You know, that's that's how I'd like to say it. You're with friendlies. And uh, um, the team the team should uh, uh, corral around each other and as well as the fans. Um, being at home, also, they don't have to travel. So they're not, they're not pulling that mileage on their bodies. Um, you know, hotel, staying at hotel rooms, um, you no, know, definitely not who knows, experience. you know, um, you know, as an athlete myself, I know sometimes in those, uh, as, as student athletes, we goof around sometimes, um, there's definitely times where we like settle down or like, all right, guys, we need to go to bed at a certain time. You know, we got to be prepared for this game, but, uh, it's exciting when you travel and you're, uh, you're away from school, uh, you're away from your friends, uh, you're, you're away from the place you're, uh, usually around. So, uh, being, a, being at home is a huge advantage. It's also means that the opposing teams are traveling to, uh, Spokane. So they're going to be a little jet lagged. They're going to be a little tired and, uh, we're going to be cheering them on. Um, and Bobby's kind of go back to, uh, the Santa Clara game coming up. Santa Clara is, uh, the top team right now in the conference. They have a overall record of nine and one. So it tells us that they're a pretty solid team. They're a very solid team. And I, and I think for Gonzaga, I mean, they're definitely not out of it in terms of the standings. They're only four points behind Santa Clara and they're actually only one point behind St. Mary's and Pacific. And obviously they, they got those two teams coming up on their schedule. So GU definitely has a chance to finish in the top three in the WCC standings to finish off the season. Definitely um, an accomplishment that they'll be, they'll be hoping to reach. Yeah, they're not they're not um, that far away from getting to that top to one of the top spots um, because again the tournament you have to be in the top three positions. Uh, if they went out and you know a couple of teams ahead of them right now, uh, right now Pacific, LMU, and St. Mary's are those kind of teams that we're very close with. Um, each team has. Where St. Mary's and Pacific has seven respectively, Loyola and Gonzaga have six. So all it takes is you know two, three wins, a couple losses from LMU, Pacific, St. Mary's, and we're in that championship bid. It's definitely doable. Bid. It's definitely doable. I think, and I think Aaron Lewis again has done a great job, and I think he definitely has what it takes to sort of motivate the team and get them in that right mindset to finish the season on a strong note. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all agree on that. What was the tipping point for Gonzaga in the? Portland game specifically? I think it was definitely the offsides. I mean, having not only one goal, but two goals called back to being offsides, definitely just, it's definitely super demoralizing. It definitely just takes the energy out of the team. You know, you think, you think you're getting back into the game and then one goal gets called back and then you're on it, you're attacking again and you get another goal and then that gets called back. It just, you sort of lose hope and you just like lose energy. It just, I think that was definitely when sort of the tide shifted and Ben Portland started the game control of the game there i mean they were attacking on gu's side of that side of that side of the field the entire the entire second half pretty much so 
It's definitely tough. I mean, but I think GU definitely has what it takes to bounce back. Yeah, well said, Bobby. And Portland did control the ball most of the game. They were six, uh, 63% of the time they were on their own side. They were t- uh, attacking. So, um, Julian, can you talk a little bit about what it's like for a soccer team to be on their heels all the time and the opposite team being on offense? Yeah. Um, I mean, when you're on your heels all the time, it's uh, it's a bit of a hard task to win the game. I'll be straight up honest with you. It's just any sport, whether it's basketball, football, soccer, tennis even um whenever you're on your heels whenever the you know you, you have the, the possession majority of the possession is on your side of the field it makes your job as a defender is a little bit more difficult um and then that is where the found the fouling component comes in you know you fail to you fail to stop momentum of the uh, of the opposing team and as long as you fell correctly of course i know it's a different topic but uh, as long as you fell correctly um and just make sure that you don't fail within a certain uh, number of yards between you and the goal I think then it can help out, but I think just in general, just the just the fact that if you're on your back, if you're on your heels at all the times, that means you know um, it does lead to counterattacks. It does do that uh, when you know when those when those opportunities do arise. However, it is a lot, it there are a lot more chances to get one against you. So again, more chances lead to more goals, and uh, you know of course those lead losses. So that's generally what it comes down to. I, w- I want to talk a little bit too about their their game coming up as well against St. Mary's. Um, it's November 6th at 7 p.m. right here again on Luger Field in Spokane. Uh, last year when these two teams met up, the Gales actually shut out the Zags by a score of 2-0. to zero. Um, Coming into this game, Gonzaga has actually lost eight straight matches versus St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. St. Mary's is looking to make it nine. Obviously, Gonzaga is going to want to put an end to that streak. Uh, so, guys, I want to get your opinion. Can the Zags put an end to this losing streak and get back in the win column? They kind of have to if they want to get into the tournament. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, like like we said, this this entire season has been a surprise for us. So, I mean, those those uh, what those eight straight games that they lost um, to St. Mary's, yeah, those are a tall task. But this is a new team, and this team has overcome adversity in the past, and I think they can do it uh, against this, this uh, St. Mary's team. And uh, one thing I want to note, like, know is that St. Mary's is a very strategic team. Um, they are very slow paced, very methodical. Very um, methodical. Yeah. For example, on the season, they've uh, given up nine goals nine total goals and they've given up nine or yeah they've given up 98 total shots um which seem like a lot but it's not really no that's very low very little um so that that basically says that st mary's is going to hope to come into uh luger field and uh control the pace of the game and their their pace is slow and a slow when a team plays slowly they want to like kind of demoralize the opposite team they just want the, the one opposite team to be confused well it's more like of a mentality because when a team's used to playing up and down or even just like at a normal pace where it's like okay we attack and then um the other team attacks or the uh, we have possession for a, a while and the other team has possession but when a team has like control of the ball they're super slow very strategic with their moves and uh it, it can uh, wear wear down the uh opposite team um, so something that Gonzaga is going to have to do for this game specifically is play the, to their own uh, playing style. So that means playing up and down, playing um, how they're used to, uh, looking to attack, being aggressive, um, and not letting St. Mary's control the ball for too long. So if that means having to double team one of one of their uh, players on uh, on an attacking force or on defense, then that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to make adjustments on the game. I think basically what you're saying is that they, they can't let St. Mary's sort of dictate the, the style of play and the, and the pace of play, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think also in, a, in addition is 
is is as a result of, of, of playing very methodically as St. Mary's does. It also results in very few mistakes that they make. Mm-hmm. And so I think so I think if you're GU, you have to capitalize on those few mistakes that St. Mary's is going to make. Like whether whether it's a you know a kick that goes too far or a pass that's sort of off off um, off track. I guess mm-hmm. you, you definitely you is gonna have to you know pounce on that and capitalize and definitely and put St. Mary's on their heels. Uh, I think if they fail to do that, it's gonna be very very tough to, to for them to get in the scoring column, and St. Mary's is gonna dictate the pace of the game, which is which is what GU wants to avoid at all costs. Absolutely, um, and now we can transition to the women's volleyball game against Pacific. Um, the women's uh, volleyball team fell to Pacific at Pacific on October twenty eighth. Um, all three sets were lost in a competitive game. Um, and this is nothing new. Gonzaga struggles in Stockton uh, historically. Overall, they're 2-8 and eight in, in, at Pacific. Um, and something that the women's volleyball team has really been struggling with lately is blocking and uh, scoring up front, which means like kills and, um, and other ways of scoring, um, as well as commitment. They have an issue with commitment. Um, digs have been an issue for the team as well. Um, they were outmatched by Pacific 46 to 32. Um, now in the blocking category in this game specifically, they did make some headway. Um, they won that matchup four to one. So that, that's telling me like the women are looking for ways to work collectively as a group. Um, and they've continued their uh, strength and aces. Yeah. And one of the biggest issues is that. Uh, the Gonzaga women's volleyball team has been struggling with uh, injuries. Kari uh, Mc- McKenzie, one of the best uh, hitters and blockers, has been out a couple games. And Alyssa Hughes, their preseason All-WCC player, um, middle blocker, is out for the season with uh, an unknown injury as to now. Um, and that's been a major blow to the team. One of the most eye-catching stats is that um, – Gonzaga's losing in kills one one thousand to eight hundred and sixteen. It's a big deficit. Definitely hard to overcome and win games when you're losing by over two hundred kills overall. Yeah, and uh, and blocks as well. They're being outmatched one fifty to one twenty four. So it's just it's just kind of the the story of the Gonzaga women's volleyball team this year. They're just struggling with with just group camaraderie is what I would say. They, they don't seem to be rallying when it matters most. For example, in this last game against Pacific, they lost another very competitive game. And something that I've noticed watching them myself is that they play very well. They just don't win those tight games. They, they lost 19-25, 22-25, and 23-25. It's like, what is the issue? The issue has to be like that maybe they're not communicating well. Um Maybe they're just not making adjustments. Um, I want to get you guys' insights on, like, what else, like, what is something that they can do as of right now to transition into being a better volleyball team as a group? Um, yeah, I mean, like you said before, communication is a big key in any sport, um, especially volleyball, when you're trying to set the ball up, trying to hit it over uh, the net. Um, as far as what they can do, uh, I would say that they need to be more aggressive from the get-go. 
just because it seems as if every time they do win the game or win the match, they end up winning the first set. So I think I think just being very aggressive, I think being very aggressive uh, from the get-go is a very big key of that, um, as well as not making as many mental errors. Because I know they do struggle with mental errors, every, or not mental errors, but just errors in the in the uh, volleyball field mm-hmm. or volleyball match. Um, as far as what else they can do, um, just make sure that they're always on top of their game and making sure that if there's ever a a dispute within within the team or whatnot, it just gets settled quickly. I mean, as far as as far as what exactly, I'm not I'm not in the team. Obviously, mm-hmm. not don't don't play for them and whatnot. Um, no, we're unsure if there's an actual dispute or anything I'm just, like that. I'm just saying hypothetically. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying for for the communication. I'm not. I don't know what the exactly the issue is in that front, but. Um, I do think that this team they're they're very good. I think they're just I think they just need a little more seasoning, to be quite honest with you. I know that a lot of their best players are younger, so that that tends to lead to again close games being lost. Um but at the same time, you know, we are they're getting to the point in the season where it's just like, okay, we gotta, you know, put up or put up or stop at this point. So I think that communication is a big key. What do you think, Bobby? I, th- I think those factors you mentioned are even more important now getting to the end of this season. I mean, if you look at the Zag schedule, they still have another game against BYU, another game against San Diego, mm-hmm. and another game against Pepperdine. And those teams are the top, top three in the WCC, respectively. So Zag is definitely going to want to f- figure out what, what the issue is and definitely put an end to that quickly if they want to finish out the season on a high note. I mean, assuming... That those games will are, are going to be lost is just based on history and how they performed against those teams, not only this season but in previous years. And I think they had something like they haven't beaten BYU in like like since two thousand eleven or something like that. So just looking at the history and how the teams looked at looking this year, uh, they're definitely going to want to put an end to these issues quickly and try to get back on track as quickly as possible. And then one of the biggest things against Pacific is that the Zags were actually up in the last two sets at a certain point. Um, having Pacific on their heels, they were trailing. And Pacific was just more aggressive on offense. Um, they had 54 total kills, which um, another stat that can kind of point to their to their woes and blocking. Um, and I kind of want to transition into a preview for uh, the women's volleyball game against BYU coming up this November 4th. Um, BYU has some players. They're really, really good. They're they're very solid. They're the number seven team right now in the nation, uh, with a record twenty and one. Uh, and they're ten and one, ten and one in conference. Uh, some of their star players include Kenzie Korber with two hundred thirty six kills on the season, Whitney Bauer with seven hundred nineteen assists, and Kennedy Eschenberg with ninety one blocks. Oh, Lord. <laughs> now, if we can do some comparative uh, stats, you know what? I don't even want to go there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I think it's in our yeah, best interest to sort of stay away from it's, that. It's not. And, uh, Let's just say it's not close. <laughs> it's not close. It's not close. Uh, McKenna Marshall does have 200-plus kills, so we will say that. But um, it's other than that, it's not, it's not close. Uh, BYU has about five girls with over 130 kills on the season. They have over uh, at least five girls that are over six feet tall. That's insane. Um, not like, to mention that like BYU... That, that's just ridiculous. I'm sorry. That is, is that an NBA team going out there? That's, literally, going that's a starting five. <laughs> that's a starting five. That's a unit. That is a unit. That's what we describe as a unit. <laughs> um, but some things I want to mention is like, what do the women need to do to end the losing streak? Um, like, like we're talking and, about... And let me give a little... Sorry, Julian, not to cut you off. Let me give you a little backstory. The women's volleyball team has not beaten BYU in 19 straight games. 
The last time the BYU was in Provo in 2011, and their overall record is 1-21. So what is it that the women need to do to end that losing streak? Well, they've got to pray. As far as as far as what they can actually do, of course, you know, without the joking aspect, um, <laughs> what they, what they can do or what they need to do is, again, minimize their errors like they have to almost play the perfect match or the perfect game in order to uh, in order to win this game. You know, like um, whenever you're facing if say, you know, you're facing a really great team and you're not as great or not as highly ranked as they might be, you have to play the perfect game because any little mistake can lead to an avalanche of mistakes and just it continues on. So I think just making sure they play the game from the very get-go, from the first set all the way through the last set, whether it be fifth or third or fourth or whatever, um, just playing the perfect game, uh, just making sure that when they're whenever they're serving, they go for aces. Of course, they don't. They try not to hit the ball out of the out of the um, out of the area where they're not allowed out of the area where they're allowed to. Um, as well as just getting Juliet and all those all those uh, setter or all those uh, front players, definitely getting them involved from the very get go. Um, just because the last thing you want is for them to be cold uh, going into the second set. So I think just a little bit of that. For me, I would say definitely confidence is the main thing. I mean, obviously, GU is going to be coming into this game as an underdog. And with that underdog mentality, I mean, they pretty much have nothing to lose, if I'm being honest. They're just going in like nothing's really riding on this game. I mean, their season is, in terms of playoff hopes, is pretty much over. So I think at this point, they're just looking to play spoiler. And honestly, that that can sometimes be a recipe for for success. If a team's going in, no expectations, nothing to lose. They just go out and just play the sport that they've known their entire lives and they've played their entire lives. Sometimes that might lead to success. And... Stranger things have happened, I'll say that. Uh, much more uh, surprising upsets have happened in the world of college sports. So, I mean, who, who knows what will happen? Obviously, we'll be rooting for GU. We'll be hoping they give it their best effort. But, I mean, I, I, I think they might have more of a shot than people think. Yeah, no, you're right. They could and, be – sorry, go ahead. Yeah, um, and Bobby, you basically, to recruit your cup, you're saying that they're going to go out – Honestly, play for fun. Hopefully, I think play so, a little yeah. looser. Yeah, BYU has more at stake because oh, they're the number, se- number seventh ranked team in the nation. So yeah. if they lose to Gonzaga, unranked team, oh for sure, seven and fifteen. You know that's be- that's a bad look. And some key points in the game for them to upset BYU include blocking as a unit, finding ways to score around their lead blockers, especially Kennedy, and have confidence in their ability. And to give a little insight onto that. Uh, BYU has five girls over 130 kills, as I've already mentioned. They will need to block this game. That's one of the biggest emphasis. And how do they do that without their key players and without much? Basically, what I'm trying to say, they've been struggling this season. Um, so what? How can they change that? They have. They have to work as a group. They just have to. There's no choice. Um, so whether it's the coaches implementing another system where they're like, hey, guys, it'd be like, hey, we need Kennedy, we need you, Kennedy Croft. We need you, Cara McKenzie. We need you, Juliet Russell. We need you guys to step up and we need you guys to work together and communicate on those sets and those kills. Uh, we're going to we're going to go into this practice. Week. We're going to watch a ton of film. We're going to see what they like to do, what they don't like to do, what their strengths are and how we can move around that. Um Finding ways to score. Um, one option, and if if I may, and if let's say the women's volleyball coach is listening right now, if I may, um, from my experience as an athlete, 
Um, you can't do too many things multiple times because you're, then you become too predictable. You have to find ways to throw the other team off guard. So, for example, Kyo, the setter, is should come out in the game and set. That should be her mentality. I'm going to look to set for as many hitters as I can in the best place that I can as often as I can. The goal is to have BYU be like, okay, we got a feel for Q now. She's just going to be setting this game. That's all she's doing. She's not looking to score. She's not looking to hit. She's just setting. And then that's when Q comes in. After the, after she has a feeling like they've kind of got con, caught on to her game, that's when she gives a little like fake, fake set over the net to the other team, caught off guard, maybe get a point there. Another option is, let's say Kara McKenzie has been – looking for a kill five times. She got she gets blocked three out of the five times, but they know she's going to go for the kill. The next move she does is go and f- pretend like she's going for the kill, but then gets a little slight uh, tap over the, over the two blockers, and then that's how they get their points. Um, and then finally is have confidence in their ability. They're Division One volleyball players for a reason. I know their season isn't going great, but they got here, and they're great players, and they should know that themselves. Um Another way to build their confidence is by preparation. So if, if they're listening right now, just go into that week. Don't don't be like, okay, we're just this is BYU. They're number seventh in the in the nation. We're seven five fifteen. Our season's basically over. We're gonna give up. Don't do that. Don't do that. Go into the week, prepare, watch film, stretch, eat, sleep, and go into the game feeling like your best self. I think that sort of alludes to what I was saying before, just about having that confidence and just going in, just feeling loose and just ready to go, and just play you, and and just with the mindset that you're just playing the game that you've grown up playing your entire life, and just have fun with it, and you know whatever happens happens. I think that might, I think from my opinion, that's that's going to be their recipe for success, especially against BYU. Yeah, um, I will definitely agree with you guys. By the way, in a scene, you're just your speech right now just made me want to run through that wall right behind you. So <laughs> got me a little excited. So thank you, Julian. You're welcome. Inspirational. Anytime. Thank you, guys. All right, so um, yeah, I got men's well, men's and women's tennis uh, after the ITA uh, regional championships um, that were held on that were held a couple well, the twenty fourth to the twenty sixth, well, twenty seventh as well because Monday they had the championship. Um, but yeah, so we had for the men on the men's side, we had four players competing in total, um, only four players I should say. Uh, at the end of the first day, we had Hollingworth and Anderson fell in round one, fortunately. However, uh, Draculia, I hope I pronounced that correctly, um, he went past round one. He got to round two, but then he fell in round two. They um, still had a freshman on the second day, uh, De La Bassettieri. Again, hope I pronounced it right. Definitely tennis is a tough one for pronunciation purposes. Um, but he unfortunately fell in the quarters. So, of course, round of 16. Um Hollingworth and Trujillo, the guys who uh, fell in the first and second round, uh, yeah, the first and second round, respectively, they both competed as well in doubles, and they made it all the way to the semis. Made it all the way to the semis. They beat the Stanford team. They beat a Stanford team in the semis. Uh, you know, they were down. I believe they were down in the first set. Or they lost the first set. They won the second, the next two sets after that. And then, of course, after that, they beat Stan. They went. They beat Stanford. They went to the finals just to face another Stanford team, which then they lose six one, six to six two on Monday. Tough losses, of course. Tough losses, for sure. Absolutely tough losses. And Julian, I have a question for you. Go for it. Uh, The Gonzaga men's... uh, Excuse me. Dennis? 
the Gonzaga men's tennis team plays this weekend hosting the Gonzaga Invitational. Yep. What do they have to do this week to bounce back from their okay performance from last week, ex- excluding the duo? Right. Um, well, I mean, they have to take what they learned. Uh, I know uh, that that freshman, he's solid. I mean, he seems like one of the best players, not the best player on the team. He's only a freshman. Uh, I think... And you're talking about Arthas, correct? Correct. Correct. Yes, my mistake. Yeah. Yeah, he's solid. I mean, he went to the quarters, and it was, I know it was only a regional championship, but it's still pretty decent if you, if you know, you think of all the talent around him um, or that he'd have played against. But so I think if he goes far, and then of course, uh, Hollingworth and Anderson both go far, as well as Trujillo, as well as the other guys who they're going to be uh, playing in that didn't show, that didn't go to the, IT, the ITA regionals. I think if, uh, if they all put out a good showing, then they can show that, you know, Gonzaga men's tennis is uh, definitely here for, uh, you know, when they start up in the spring. So I think that'd be very important for them. Um, but yeah, of course, uh, actually going on to that, I, th- I appreciate that and seeing that uh, last season, the team itself was 12 and 11 overall. However, they were only one and seven in conference play, which is a little mm-hmm. strange for me, you know, just because, I mean, usually in conference, you try to play your best uh, tennis or play your best sport, whatever you're playing. Um, but it seems as if they really struggled when they weren't playing, or they really struggled when they were playing conference, but when they weren't, they did pretty well. Mm-hmm. Now, going on this tournament itself and just the tournaments that they have, of course, with this one coming up, um, I would just pose a question to you guys. Will the experience as a team, because this is a pretty young team overall, mm-hmm. that will the experience the team went through uh, through the, through this year or through the year so far help them go into the spring and how so? Uh, I think it definitely will, and not even not even just the spring. Definitely in the in the years to come, for mm-hmm. the next few years, for those for especially Arthas and Sasha, the the two uh, big underclassmen. Yeah. Um, I think with I think with any team, no matter what sport you play, obviously just getting a lot of practice and playing against players that are better than you is definitely going to help improve your game and it, uh, definitely outline those strengths that mm-hmm. that you know you, you can you're good at and keep improving on those mm-hmm. as well as the weaknesses and maybe things you need to work on right. whether it's a, whether it's your forehands not working or your backhand or maybe your close up game isn't working whatever it may be i think just getting that getting that goes reps in playing against uh, top tier talent again this is division 1 tennis some of the best college players in the in the, in the country so even the world too cuz there are a lot of international players right so I think just getting in the getting in those reps, playing as many games as you can, watching film, breaking down your game, the techniques, uh, it's going to be a huge, huge boost for them, and it's definitely going to make them that much better next year. And they're going to be a fun team to watch next year. I'll tell you that. Absolutely. Yeah, and reflecting on what they did, this like for example, this past week, just reflecting on what they could have done better and what their strengths were as well, and uh, performing to their level in the next spring and for years to come. And Julian, as you mentioned, seven of the nine players on the current roster. Yeah are juniors or younger. Mm-hmm. So they are a very young team. However, they are pretty experienced as they've been playing in tournaments from last year, this year. And they're looking to take that experience into the spring season. Um, and that's great news for Gonzaga tennis fans because there's going to be plenty of returning players coming in, coming back next year and for years ahead. Um, a couple of those uh, great players as of right now include, uh, as you said, Julian Sasha, mm-hmm. Trulija, Arthas de and Matthew Hollingsworth. Sasha and Matthew make a great doubles team. You know, they won second against Stanford. Um, and Arthas competed in the quarterfinals only yeah. as a freshman. So uh, Yeah, I, I've seen Sasha and Matthew play in person. They definitely have quite the team chemistry. They just know exactly what the other one's doing. They have some 
they just get the camaraderie is off the charts. So uh, they'll definitely bounce back. So they're going to be exciting to watch in the future. Oh, for sure, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be exciting. And what else is exciting is the women's tennis team as well. Can mm-hmm. can't go without mentioning them. Um, if they also played in a tournament, neither the teams or the doubles or singles made it as far as the men's. I'll be honest with you guys, but it was still a it was still a great performance nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Instead of ha- they had seven out of their total nine uh, people on the roster compete, so that's very much more impressive. More than the men's team, a lot, yeah, yeah a lot more than men. You have three more than men's team, and that's yeah. that's really impressive. Um, they had, of course, they had a uh, Tegan Aiken who's a sophomore, uh, Kiana Oda who's a sophomore as well, uh, Caroline Wernley who's a freshman, um, Kate Broerman who's a junior. They also had Frederic uh, Savar who's actually in my class, so I kind of know her pretty well. Uh, she's a she's a grad student. Um, Maria Frampton, who's a junior, and then Adri- Adriana Sosnowska. That's tough pronunciation again. Um, she's a senior, by the way. It, it, it seems that this team's a lot more spread out, too, yeah. in terms of experience. Absolutely. I have a lot of, a lot of upperclassmen and a lot of underclassmen as well. Right. Yeah, they, no, they have a, I did look through the roster. They have a, they have a pretty healthy sum of, of grad students, or they have a pretty healthy sum of just overall, like you said, you know, just a balance of you know, grad, uh, juniors, seniors, grad students, even and a lot of freshmen and sophomores as well to carry the program moving forward. And Julian, they performed well. They did. Um, at least four of them went on to the second round of the tournament this yep. past weekend. And number eight, uh, unfortunately, uh, eighth seed Kate Broerman going into tournament um, lost in the second round. Um, however, in doubles, her and her partner, uh, Sosnowska, mm-hmm. made it to the round of 16 before falling to UC Davis. Yeah. Um, now, what is the expectation for Kate Broerman that, uh, this for the spring season? Uh, for the spring season, I'd say it's pretty high. It's probably the highest out of any of the women's tennis players that we have, uh, considering that she is um, statistically the best uh, tennis player that we have coming back from last season. Um, I believe based on just wins and stuff, I know she was she had an amazing record when I was looking at her statistics overall mm-hmm. from last season. So, um, And then one more final thing about the women's tennis team is that they do have an invitational, a Gonzaga invitational. Uh, it's on the November 5th through 11th set, through the November, November 5th through November 7th. So go on support. I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to get into the women's soccer team. Uh, they're they're back in action when they take on San Francisco Wednesday, November third at seven p.m. right here in Spokane on Luger Field. Uh, the last time these two teams met last year, uh, the Dons shut the Zags out by a score of three to zero. So the Zags are definitely looking to bounce back from that loss. Uh, the Zags actually haven't been able to beat San Francisco since the 2017-2018 season, where they beat them six to two. So Zags are trying to replicate that result as well. Uh, with only one game left in the regular season, this game becomes all the more important for the Zags. So guys, what do the Zags have to do to walk out if they're with a win on Wednesday night? They just need to control the ball. Yeah, I mean, if, if they have the ball on offense, the Gonzaga women's team have historically been known for being a high-scoring team. We have great uh, forwards in Aaron Healy, Jordan Thompson, and Maddie Kemp. We've been known for being a high-scoring team. I'm pulling up a statistic right now to see how many total goals on the season we have. A total of 43 goals to opponents 19. When the Gonzaga women's soccer team has the ball, they've been known to do great things. So if they can just control the pace and they can attack on offense, get more shot, get more shots off, get more shots on goal, uh, and also in uh, defense wins championships and de- defense wins games. So if they can ke- keep San Francisco from attacking and scoring and uh, 
you know, I've gotten some inside information from one of my friends on the soccer team. They get scored off a lot on corner kicks. So, yeah, and just preventing corner kicks as they've allowed the most amount of goals or plenty amount of goals from corner kicks on the season. Um, just to like, also they need to just be strategic in their approach. Um, just hold, hold the ball, keep the possession for most of the game um, and take uh, advantage of situations when they can be aggressive and when, when they can look to attack. This Gonzaga team has also been known to foul a lot, and they tend to be a very aggressive team. Do you, Julian, do you think that'll sort of affect them positively or negatively coming into this matchup? Well, I think it just depends on the situation. To be quite honest with you, like I was talking about earlier about how you can use fouls as um, a, a positive by if you foul based on the opponent's momentum. Um, so yeah, I think it just depends on the situation whether they fell uh, too close to the box or they fell a little further away from the box. So I think it just depends on if um, if the other team's just going, you know, they're just they're on a roll and they uh, they want to stop a counterattack. Then I think it'd be used as a positive, but it could also be used as a negative if they're uh, if they're a little too aggressive closer to the box and possibly give up a closer foul kick. Yeah, just sort of how how important is it to get off on a hot start? Whether you know whether it's scoring a goal, which would obviously be ideal for the women's team, or just keep just put, putting San Francisco on their heels immediately, just always being on the constant attack. Oh yeah, so I mean, if they get on the board early, that well, the obvious fact is that they're up. You know, one to zero, for example, um, and they set the tone. They set it early, um, and that means the opposite team has to play catch up. They have to score if they want to tie or if they want to win. Um, which can sometimes lead to mistakes if the team is too overzealous and looking to score too much and being overly aggressive or sometimes overly passive. Um, it just puts the team in a great position from the jump. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the standings right here, and Gonzaga is in seventh place out of ten. Just uh, their hopes of making the tournament are probably a little bit slim. I I, I mean I want I want to I want to give them a little bit of credit. I want to give, give a little bit of a chance because technically they're not completely out of it yet. But it's a, they're definitely a lot of things are gonna have to go their way for them to get a chance of, of getting into the tournament. Uh, they're actually tied with San Francisco though. They're both tied for seventh. Yeah, and oh uh, yeah, I can I can give some insight onto that. Um, yeah, go for it. So Gonzaga, in order for them to make the top three um, in the conference. They have to win out. Um, and for those who don't know, um, soccer works on a point system, especially in conference. Um, so conference wins is what counts. Every win is three points. Every tie is one point, And every loss is zero points. Um, so the max at this point that Gonzaga can get is 15 total points on the season. Pepperdine's already at 13, and they're in third place. So that means that they have to lose three games, lose two games, and tie or tie two games and lose one. Now they have University of San Francisco coming up, uh, mediocre team, six and seven, two, two and four in conference, Pacific, 10 and four, two, three and one in conference, and BYU, the number 11th ranked team in the nation. Uh, so the good news is BYU can beat Pepperdine. Um, bad news is Pepperdine will most likely look to beat University of San Francisco or Pacific. So if they win one of those two games, Gonzaga is automatically out. And the chance, and the slim chance. Very slim chance. It's a very slim chance that Gonzaga uh, gets fortunate enough that Pepperdine loses out, ties, um, et cetera. That means St. Mary's. Who's in fourth place. Who's in fourth place. Has to win one game, lose to GU, and or lose or tie a game. Um, So if Gonzaga wins out, then automatically St. Mary's gets that loss. Uh, St. Mary's play San Diego 
another team that's not very good in the conference. However, if Saint, ninth place, yeah, ninth yeah. Place. and St. Mary's can win that game, and that's totally fine. And then they play Santa Clara, which is a good, which is good news because they're the number twenty fifth team in the nation. So it sounds like Santa Clara can beat St. Mary's. So, so what it sounds like is we're just, I mean, BYU and Santa Clara pretty much have the number one and two seeds locked up. Pretty much, yes. And and Pe- Pepperdine is pretty much the only team that the Zags could aim for at this point. Pretty much. So the main thing is that Pepperdine beats one of those two teams in UCF, USF, and Pacific, and it's all over. Um, and as I said, if if the slim the slimmest chance Pepperdine loses out or ties those those games, St. Mary's uh, loses to GU loses to Santa Clara, then that's good news. Uh, that means Gonzaga is still in the picture. Now we look at Portland. Um, they ha- they, they're, they're able to win one game, but they have to lose or tie the rest. Um, and they have three games left on the season. They play LMU, BYU, and Pacific. They'll lose to BYU, um, potentially lose to Pacific. They're, they're a mediocre team too, but uh, they have a great record. So Those are the it, it could, just can go either way. It could go either way. And then... Portland will look, most likely be MLU, LMU, which um, so Gonzaga's just hoping they lose to BYU and Pacific. Yeah. Uh, Pacific and uh, next next is Pacific. Uh, Pacific is able to win two games, uh, but they have to lose or tie a game. They play San Diego, Pepperdine, and Portland. Um, depending on what how the Portland game goes against Pacific, uh, that's in the air. They'll lose to Pepperdine, uh, which in that situation it's fine because. Um, Pacific, if they beat San Diego and Portland, then everything's good. Gonzaga's still in the picture. The outlook on this whole overall uh, story, it's not likely. It's just it's just not. It's not likely. It's not likely at all. Th- there's a chance. There's a chance. There uh, is a chance. There's, there's if, a sliver of hope. If there's any percentage I could put on it, it's probably like 0.1. Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> maybe more. Maybe a percent. Maybe a percent. But um, at this point in the season, um, all, all the girls can hope to do is – just play with pride, uh, seniors leave legacies, and not give up. They can't give up. Uh, the men's basketball team plays Lewis and Clark State this Friday, November 15th. Um, Lewis and Clark State, NAIA College in Lewiston, Idaho. They're 2-0 on the season. Uh, they played an exhibition game against the Seattle Mountaineers, which they won 97-76. This did not count towards the record, however. They did shoot 44% from the three telling us that they're a pretty solid three-point shooting team. Um, and they beat the Yellowstone Christian College. Oh, what's their mascot? I don't think that matters. It doesn't matter. matter but like, I'm like, matter. B. <laughs> they beat Yellowstone Christian College twice in blowout wins, 102 to 68 and 104 to 66. It hasn't. They haven't really played against much competition lately. Um, but what I have been able to take away is that they have a couple good players. Uh, one includes Nathan Fromm. He's a 6'5 junior guard. He had 20 points against Seattle and 25 against Yellowstone once. Uh, and then two studs in Alice Somerfield and Kevin Baker, uh, 6'8 and 6'7 respectively. Look for them to get a lot of minutes this game, rebounds and score, and look to defend the, our bigger size on the team. Um, but overall, this should be a block game. Uh, this shouldn't be close. Um, one of the questions is like, how much do we expect to see Chet in this game? I think Chet and also Timmy as well. I, I'd be surprised if they played any minutes in the second half. I think these these exhibition games are are more for Mark Few and the coaching staff to you know to figure out who's 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 going to be part of the rotation. I'm, I'm sure we'll see a lot of Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas, Brasier Bolton too, to get them more acclimated with the team, as well as Ben Gregg and Caden um, Perry. I think again they're just going to want to try and 
try out different rotations, give the young guys some minutes, see, see sort of what they're working with going into that big game against Texas on November 13th. Mm-hmm. And I would say expect to see a three-guard front to start this uh, the game. Well, uh, expect Hunter, expect Andrew, expect Nolan, expect Chet, and expect Drew. Um, I think Mark Few, what he really likes, and as we've seen last year, with the team scoring 91 points a game, he likes to play fast. First in the nation by over six points. Very impressive. He likes to play fast. He likes to score points. He likes to shoot threes. And this team is very athletic. It's very similar to the team last year. Of course, we're missing big-time players in Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert and Joel Ayayi. But uh, we still have big-time recruits coming in and returners um, with experience from last year's NCAA finalist team. Um, and one of, the, one of the biggest topics I, I want to discuss about is uh, seeing Chet and Timmy work together in the paint. Um, I'm sure, as many of us saw in last year's tournament, especially against Baylor, um, there are some struggles in the post and defending the post. Um, a lot of a lot of points came from in there, and defensively, we just couldn't stop. It seems we, like we couldn't stop some of their uh, more more athletic, quicker posts in the paint. Davion Mitchell killed this too from driving into the paint. He's good, he was going to lay up so well in that, in that game. Absolutely. And I, I'm just interested to see how Chet helps, uh, for example, Timmy in the post whenever uh, he has a bigger defender. Uh, we know Chet's a, a great shot blocker. He's seven feet tall. Uh, we've seen his highlights. We, we, we know he can do that. He's, know a, he's he a major shot blocker in the key. So I'm excited to see if he's uh, more of a de- uh, help side defensive specialist or if he's of uh, Gonzaga 6 a one-on-one. Um, oh, yeah. Um, as Honestly, as far as with Chet is concerned, I mean, that man could go side of the key. That man could go anywhere in the paint, and he'll cover the entire thing. He's that long, that tall. Um, I've seen this man in the in in the dining hall area. That he's huge. I have, I have a class with him, and he has to duck to walk into the door. Well, and you know how tall those doors are. It's absolutely yeah, ridiculous. It's true. <laughs> so, I wonder how that would feel like. I don't know. Like a giraffe. <laughs> like having to duck under, you know, doors. I'm like, sure he's used to ducking. Yeah, I'm sure he's used to that at this point. It'd be cool to talk to him about that, though. Yeah. One day. First question, how how does ducking feel like? He's like, what? <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't want to talk about that, the, the very first question. He definitely but gets those questions all the second time. Second question, for sure. He gets those questions all the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, would, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> uh, not only should we see uh, total domination from the Gonzaga team, we should see plenty of players coming off the bench. Uh, Rasheer Bolden should be coming off the bench. Um, ben Gregg, Anton Watson, Caden Perry, Potentially Matthew Lang. Um, lots of dunks. Lots of fast break dunks. Uh, us being so quick, so athletic. And we've even seen that craziness at Kennel. We got some dudes that can jump. We got out of the we gym. Got a lot of dudes. Lots Zags of, got dudes. Zags got dudes. Zags got dudes. Zags got dudes. <laughs> uh, expect lots of threes. Um, and one one last topic I want to talk about. Does Julian crack the starting lineup this year? And when? If so. I hope so. That's a great name, so I hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> Julian and Julian. Thank you. There you um, go. <clears throat> but no, honestly, I, uh, honestly though, I think he does. I think certain lineups still will call for him again because I think it's it's just a matchup thing. You know, some some lineups may call for a three guard lineup. Other lineups may call for a bigger lineup. That's where Julian would come in. So I think it just depends on the matchup. I think he'll probably play. A, I mean, he'll play a lot of the games, but as far as starting wise, I think there'll be a proportion of games that he does start, games he comes off the bench. But either way, it'll be effective. And I know as of now, we have a small sample size with just seeing him playing craziness in the, in the kennel, but you definitely can see how much of a leap he's made coming in from his freshman year to his sophomore year. You can tell, I mean, he put in, you can, you can t- definitely tell he put in the work in the offseason, really working on his game and perfecting his game. It looks much smoother. 
His shot looks smoother. He just seems to be more in control when he has the ball sort of in command. I'm super excited to see to see what, what Julian can bring to the team this year. I, th- I think he'll start. I mean, I know you had mentioned the three-guard front, and there's probably times where Mark Few goes to that lineup as well. But I feel like our best chance to win would definitely be having Julian in that starting lineup. I mean, he, dude's a stud. And I think Julian cracks the starting lineup before Texas, the Texas game. I, 1,000%. I think they by the Texas game, because Texas has so much size on their team. They're a big team. Uh, they're going to want to look to get Julian involved in, with this first unit. Um, Julian being 6'7", around like 220. Long, you know, he, long arms, too. Ath- long arms, athletic, uh, scorer, shooter, defender. You know, he's very talented himself. Um, and there's not much depth at that position alone, uh, at the shooting forward position. Excuse me, the small forward position. Um He's about the only real small forward on the team. And to give a little backstory to our fans, that's why they're going to go with a three-guard uh, front because they want to play fast and because they don't have that uh, depth at that position. Now, is there a reason why Mark Few may not feel as comfortable with starting Julian? Well, we might see in the exhibition games to come. Uh, maybe there's a reason. Maybe he's not playing as well as we might have thought as because he played great in craziness, but maybe he's not playing as great in practice. But we'll see him develop as he goes. He looked at, he looked as he took a major jump from this offseason, though, and I'm excited to see him play. I think also there might be times where Mark Few puts Anton at the three, just maybe to go with a bigger lineup. Again, maybe maybe even against Texas, too, or even in the NCAA tournament come March Madness time, when, when, when he wants experience on the floor and maybe guys finishing out games. I wouldn't be surprised if you put Anton at the three. Do you think that's just too big of a lineup? Because like, uh, in that lineup, who would be in the on the floor at that time? I mean, you'd have Anton, Tim, Tim, um, Anton, Timmy, and Chet, and then maybe I, I think you'd have to have shooters in the backcourt. And I mean, no one can shoot. Hunter can shoot. I mean, pretty much all our guards can shoot. So I think any combination of Andrew Rasier, Hunter, and Nolan would would work fine. I mean, we saw Anton shoot a little bit. He did make a three crazy. in craziness. He made, he made a three in craziness, but it's not his game. He's more of a oh, yeah. down down. Uh, he's more of a stretch four in a way, but he's more of a driver scorer around the basket. I feel like the only issue with uh, having that lineup is that there's just not enough uh, there's not enough scoring. It, I feel like it's going to congest the key too much uh, with Anton Chet and Timmy, unless Chet develops a shot and he starts uh, working around the Chet, Chet can spread the floor. Line. Yeah. I, I think that'll also be more of a defensive lineup, too. Maybe if we need stops, or uh, like if we're struggling, or, or if we have a lead and we want to preserve that lead and we need stops, I think that I think Anton would be a guy to go to as well. What would you think in like a uh, key, like instead of like that's in a situation where it's end of the game, is that something where Anton comes in in that certain lineup? Because it's hard to see a lineup where you have. Basically, three power forward centers. We already we already have so many offensive options and so many guys who can score. Um, I think we'll definitely need some guys who can who can defend the ball out there. Anton, I mean, Anton will probably guard probably like the small forward power forward position, and but I, I think having him out there as a defender will definitely help us. Absolutely, and I want to transition a little bit to women's basketball against Central Washington this November sixth. Yeah, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, um, of course we have Central. They have play what uh, the women's basketball team plays Central Washington uh, November sixth, like you said before. Um, again, it's their only it's their only exhibition game in the season. After that, they go into the regular season, which starts against uh, Montana State on November eleventh. Um, of course, they did have fan fest. Uh, sorry, yeah, they had fan fest. They played the blue defeated red. So if anybody was playing betting money on that, <laughs> blue, blue beat red. Cash uh, out, if, yeah, cash out now. 
Um, of course, uh, we can get go into their uh, leading scores, but honestly, I'll just say in general, Kaylin, who uh, Kaylin Chirong, I should say, uh, she was the leading scorer on both teams. She uh, had 12 points in the game. Um, she did look a lot more improved after last year, and mm-hmm. she'll she will be backing up, of course, her sister Kaylee, mm-hmm. as well as. Um, as well as Sierra as well. So I mean that's that that guard lineup's gonna be gonna really stay strong. Um of course the whole twin sister thing's a thing in, in women's basketball team. Did not know that was a thing. I didn't know that until I got here to be honest with you. <laughs> um of course we had the Worths last year, you know, yeah. they graduated then this year we have the Trongs who are now sophomores. Hmm. Um so I mean yeah it should be like a lot more guard centric uh lineup. And, um, you know, so I, I would say moving forward into this year, just what to expect. I know we're not really talking about expectations yet, but I feel like what to expect um, is going to be like a lot more guards because, of course, the, lot, the three highest scoring players from last season's team uh, were all seniors. And, of course, they were all forwards with uh, Towns, with uh, Jill Townsend as well as, um, you know, those, the, the Worth sisters. Um, um, and Julian, not to cut you off, but go ahead. And those three players, the top three scoring players, yep. they lost 35 points per game. Right. That's a lot. Uh, they averaged four, 71 points per game. So that's, that's, that's half their scoring. That's, yeah. Yeah, it's 50%. That is exactly, 50% pretty much scoring. exactly half their scoring. Yeah. yeah. A little, like, yeah, 49%. Of it, 49%. 49% of scoring. Yeah. So, like, who steps up? Who, who do you project to step up more this season? Um, well, I think Kaylee, for sure. I think Kaylee's going to take a big step up as well, Sierra. I also think that either one of the, either, um, Either Bree, the their their recruit, uh, their highest rated recruit, mind you, in their in basketball history, is going to step up, or it's either going to be her, or it's going to be Abby O'Connor. Whoever takes that wing position from Jill Townsend, or takes that position vacated by Jill Townsend, is going to take is probably going to be that person who steps up and leads them to the promised land if they make it there. Also, and, also Melody Kempton too, the, the, the only yeah. person on the on the Zags team to get a preseason All WCC selection. She's she's poised to fill some big shoes mm-hmm. with, with with Jen and Leanne departing. Yeah. Uh, I also, also want to mention Yvonne Egem too. I know she didn't get a lot of playing time until the end of last year, but she really showed out in the WCC tournament as well as that first-round matchup against Belmont. I think she's definitely going to take a huge leap this year. I'm super excited yeah. to see what she can bring to this, this Zags roster. Yeah, it should. there's a lot of depth in this team, I'll say this. By the amount of names that we brought up for who can step up, there's a lot of there's a lot of depth now. Will they step up? Can they step up? I mean, can they step up is a different question, so I believe they can. Will they step up? We'll see at the end of the season, or we'll see closer to the end of the season. This, this Zags team is also very, very young. They are. They have five incoming freshmen. You mentioned Bree being one of yeah. them, the highest recruit, again, in, in Gonzaga history. So she just, they definitely has some big expectations coming in. You also got Peyton Muma. You got Callie Stokes. Yeah. You got Esther Little. So def, Zags definitely have a good freshman class coming in. Hopefully they can they can sort of build build together and, and grow and, and grow and get better as the year goes on. Yeah, and something that... And to go back to the Worth Twins and Jill, something that they did with, uh, super well that was super underrated is scoring the paint. Mm-hmm. And another name that we haven't uh, yet to mention is uh, 6'5 post, uh, Anna Vershaw. Anna Maria. Anna Maria. Anna Maria Vershaw. Um, she scored eight points in FanFest. So expect to see a lot of uh, Anna this year, and hopefully she scores uh, a bunch of points in the, in the paint, and mm-hmm. hopefully she gets a ton of rebounds this season. Yeah, um, I, I mean, you definitely hope so, especially with the amount of talent that left. Um, they, it seemed like they reloaded with, of course, those freshmen that um, you know you brought up over there, Bobby, as well as the players who were injured last season, as well as the transfer they had, because they also had Mod coming in, too. Um, so from Syracuse. I, from Syracuse. Yeah, right. From Syracuse. She played one game last season, only one game for Syracuse last season, and so she still technically has uh, freshman eligibility. So um, it, should be, it should be a good season overall. Um, I did want to pose a question to you guys, though. As far as uh, Jill Townsend's graduation, 
conversation. I did I did leave up two um, options as far as um, who can take her spot with Bree and Abby O'Connor. Do you think it, the competition between her for her spot that she left over? Do you think it's between those two, or do you think there's a secret um, runner in the case in that chase? Uh, it's great that you mentioned that. I think between Abby, Bree, Melody, and Anna. I think those four, and even Yvonne. Mm-hmm. I think those five players can not be the same player Jill was because Jill was one of the best players Gonzaga's ever had Um, I think what they can just fill in is those little things that Jill did so well as an individual player Uh, Yvonne uh, on our great post defenders Uh, they're big they're big strong bodies uh, Abby's a great guard, uh, a great forward. She's a great shooter. She's going to be more involved this season on the offensive end. Mm. Um, she's she's going to look to score and she's going to look to be aggressive. Um, and Melody is also one. It's very similar. To Abby, different positions. She's more of a uh, power forward, uh, but she's going to be more involved this season as well. Uh, at FanFest, both Abby and Melody didn't stand out. They both had uh, six around six seven points each. Um, but they, it was obvious that their role on the team was expanding um, and that they looked more comfortable. I'd say those two look very comfortable in their position. So expect to see more about them. Uh, I want to touch really quickly on the expectations for their season. Yeah. Last year, the women's basketball team won on a buzzer beater to win the WCC championship against BYU. Um, they also stapled themselves in the NCAA, NCAA tournament against Belmont, unfortunately losing that game in the first round. Um so the expectation for the woman this season, it's, it's it has to be to repeat. It has yeah. to be. Um, clearly, they lost very good players, but they also recruited great players and they're returning great players as well. Mm-hmm. They have they've fallen off perhaps a little bit in the scoring department, but they're still great defenders. Uh, I'm a big believer in the Tronk Twins. Uh, watching them at FanFest, they're just very strategic, very smart, great leaders, and that's what you need in a point guard. Um, I was very impressed by Kaylin specifically. She had a great pull-up game. She, uh, it seemed like she could get to the basket whenever she wanted to. Um, given she was playing uh, players on the Gonzaga women's basketball team, and I'm sure she's more comfortable playing against them because she sees them every day. Um, but overall, I'm excited. I think they can win the WCC championship this year again. Um, and hopefully make it past the first round in the uh, NCAA tournament. Yeah, they definitely underperformed in that game against Beaumont. I think they had led for most of the game, too, and then Beaumont just sort of took over in that fourth quarter. Oh, one, one name, though, that none of, uh, all of us have failed to mention that I think might might take a, good, a big lead this year, too, is Michaela Williams. She got a little bit of playing time last year. Didn't, didn't get that much. Again, she was backing up Jill, Jill so, and just, so Jill got most of the time. But I actually, I mean, I actually saw her play a couple of times. She went to she went to high school in Los Angeles. She went to Windward, which is about forty five minutes from where I went to high school. And so Windward would actually play my high school a couple of times. And so I got to see her play. And she's very, very talented. She definitely, definitely has a has a huge skill set. She can shoot the ball. So I, th- I think Lisa Lisa forty eight definitely has a lot of a lot of um, girls at her at her disposal to use during this year. And if I'm not mistaken, at FanFest, I believe Michaela Williams was the runner up in the skills. Uh, challenge so she has skills she has ball handling skills and she's a smart player I saw her play as well in the scrimmage Um, she only had one point it wasn't the performance I believe she was expecting herself however she did look good she looked good with the ball in her hand she looked uh, very uh, uh, comfortable she had nice moves and she's very quick um, so I'm sure she'll get a couple minutes off the bench and hopefully she takes advantage of those opportunities uh, if she's listening to this right now just know that you're a solid player um, the team We'll probably need you if not this season. The season's coming up. We see uh, you. <laughs> and keep and keep working. Keep 
keep spending time in the gym because you are a pretty special player and you're and you know you look you look like you're meant to get plenty of minutes on this uh women's basketball team um with that being said i want to shout out the zags on air instagram and twitter and i want to thank our fans for listening to us uh please tune in next time thanks for joining